Hi, my name is Kevin McQuillan, and the following pre-recorded conversations are my attempt to make sense of the human experience through the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoy. All right, good morning. We're going to have a conversation for about 15 minutes or so, and then you get to move to your mat. And my attempt here is to draw you into the focus I have of this particular class. And it's on the sacrum, way down low. And for a particular reason, you can see on one of the whiteboards, what we can hold down in the sacrum is, I'm not worthy of connecting to my higher self. It's the energy and posture that we can have way down low in our sacrum. I'm not worthy of connecting to my higher self and whatever you consider that to be. And so that energy, that uh, posture you could call it, is destabilizing. It destabilizes us way down low and disconnects us from up here, the upper half of our body. And so if we're destabilized low, we're destabilized up top as well, is one way of looking at it. And so we're in the wobble. And that's what I'm going to attempt to explain, of what creates the wobble, one track anyways. Up on the top board, stress in the body. That's one of the themes today is my understanding. Stress in the body, if you find group, and so I'm going to explain how I see how stress manifests in the body. And this ties into my methodology. And so this is a piece of my methodology I've been working on for a long time. And my hope is that you can see yourself in this explanation and uh, engage in this conversation at some point. So I'm gonna ask you some questions along the way. And so you get to engage. And so you make this real and you move to your practice, you on your mat, with this in mind. And so I'm gonna walk you through some distinctions of how I, how I see stress manifesting in the body. It begins with stress in the mind, and it's a presupposition, a belief that convinces you that you're, not, you're an outcast, not safe, and don't belong. You're an outcast. You're definitely not safe with other people in this world, and you don't belong. And there's a particular belief that we all have that's very unique to you, the individual, and how this can manifest and how it shows up in the body, which prompts an emotional response, which is often fear or shame. That's what I've noticed. It's often fear or shame. Fear takes you down a particular track. Shame takes you down a very particular track. Under stress, the system associated with defense, aggression, withdrawal is activated. Something's not right here. I have to be on guard. I must protect myself. What's happening? And so we're activated. Hyper aroused is one way you could put it. In response, avoidance strategies, avoidance strategies are activated to mitigate the threat. There's a threat. I can feel it. It's in my body. I can feel this threat. There's something not right. And so avoidance strategies are activated to mitigate the threat, whatever the threat may be. These strategies are employed to create a sense of acceptance, safety, and belonging. And what's so fascinating is we can consider the threat lives outside of us. Well, what's actually true is the threat lives within. Based on this presupposition that I'm an outcast, I'm not safe, and I belong. And so we look out, what's going on out here? But ultimately, the threat is this. And so we're at odds. Mind and body are at odds. 
and they're in a battle. Who's going to be right? And so these avoidance strategies are all designed to mitigate the threat, which is I'm an outcast. I'm not safe. I don't belong. And so if I employ these strategies, perhaps I can create a sense of acceptance, safety, and belonging. And we do that outside of ourselves, within relationship. We convince ourselves the threats outside of us through other people. And so I have to mitigate what's happening out here in my relationships. The drive to prove that I am not who I am. The belief, I have to prove I'm not that. I have to prove the opposite of that. And I have to do that in my relationships because you'll never see me as that. I won't allow it. I'll never see it and I'll never show you that I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable, these kinds of things. You're not allowed to see that side, so I must prove that I'm not that. Not only to myself, but to everybody else in my life. That's a hell of an undertaking. I'll show you, (laughs) which can be a driving force in our life. I'll show you that I am not whatever, not likable, unworthy, these kinds of things, these beliefs that we can have about ourselves. And so it's this push that we have. We can get very pushy. You ever find yourself pushy? Oh, yeah, I imagine. (laughs) In the attempt to mitigate the threat that you consider exists, What's so fascinating, it's you. This beautiful practice of yoga is the attempt to sort this problem out. And it's a fundamental problem that we each have. How to sort this problem out. And it's a significant problem. It creates a tremendous amount of stress in the body because the mind is consistently overextending it. I don't care about you down there. Do what you're told and do it now. And if you don't, I'll punish you. Stupid body. Get it together. We have things to prove. Yeah, you're hungry, but you're not get to, you don't get to eat. You don't get to be nourished. Yes, I know you're thirsty, but no, we have other things to do. Sleep, good luck. No. You're not going to eat well. You're not going to take care of yourself. You're not going to be able to do those things because we have other things to do. So shut up. I'll numb you out push you down, squeeze you so you don't have a voice and you don't have a say in what I'm up to. And that's how the body can be stressed. It's devalued, undermined. And at some point will blow out at our weakest point. So dis-ease in the body, this is one way it manifests. And it manifests ultimately into disease in the body at some point. And so the attempt is to have preventative practices that support you alleviating stress that lives in your body, because it does. And so this is like, you know, this um, rough explanation (laughs) of how we inform or how the mind informs the body and how we start behaving in various different ways, out in the world, all in this attempt 
to create this illusion that we're not something that we believe ourselves to be. It's the great act. And so that leads me into strategies and two that we employ that are predominant. That's what I've noticed that you can find yourself in very easily. We're both, but one is more predominant. And the idea is you identify which one is more prevalent in your life because that's a problem. And I want you to identify a problem this morning. Then the attempt begins and through practice how to solve the problem. It's the devastating these avoidance strategies. Devastating. I've noticed it in my life and I notice it in so many other people's lives. So many people come through here wrecked. Coming to retreat to put themselves back together. All in like five days, seven days to re-enter their life exactly how they left it. Only to be swept back up into this mechanism. And so the first strategy I'm going to walk you through is the pleaser. Mm, sounds so nice. But it's so evil. <laughs> the pleaser is relationship oriented, has a tremendous amount of attention on relationships. What's happening out here? In my relationships, because they're important to me, the pleaser has a need to be well-liked. I'll please you. Your job is to like me. Do you agree? You better agree. I please you. You like me. It's perfect. The pleaser is motivated by fear. And you could ask yourself, well, what are they fearful of? Not being liked. It's devastating to a pleaser not being liked. They can't stand it. They flip out and start to deconstruct very quickly when somebody doesn't like them. And so that's the fundamental fear of pleasers. Somebody's not going to like them or love them. The focus is to alleviate conflict and avoid rejection at all costs. If I please you enough and make your, make your life easy, there will be no conflict. And you couldn't possibly reject me because I'm too nice, lovable, cute, cuddly even. How could you reject me? I'm like a baby lamb. The drive, love me for being kind. I'm so kind. And because I'm so kind, you must love me. It's a hell of a drive and a very high bar to live into. Puts a tremendous amount of stress on the pleaser and a tremendous amount of pressure on relationships. It's the deal that lives under everything that's rarely discussed. And so it's underhanded. And there's a lot of manipulation that happens to this strategy. The pleaser is so focused on proving that they're lovable, you subvert everything else. So hyper-focused on relationship, nothing else matters. Like my accomplishments or doing stuff. My stuff is organized around you. And so other areas of life can fall away very easily because pleasers are so hyper-focused on relationships and other people and typically have a challenge 
with task-oriented commitments outside of relationships. Probably the best way of saying it. And so the stress that comes from proving oneself over and over and over again is tremendous. That accompanied with the lack of discipline of taking care of the body, the self. Pleasers will fall apart. They'll sacrifice themselves in the attempt to please other people. There's nothing left in the tank to take care of themselves. And that's risky business because that'll catch up and doesn't take long, especially over a span of time. Then the consequence is dealing with something that they're forced to deal with, which manifests in the body. And however that shows up, panic attacks, I don't know, some kind of dis-ease that shows, presents itself. Then they're in a crisis. forced to deal with themselves and they don't have the skill set to do such a thing and don't have the capacity and ability, ability to please other people. That is a conflict, which has a way of compounding the stress. The other strategy that we can pull on, leverage against, is the perfectionist. Mm, Sounds nice too. (laughs) The perfectionist is task-oriented. Give me a task so I can perfect it, and that will be great. The perfectionist has a need to be seen as competent. And so give me a task, I'll complete it, and yay, I'm competent. I get to feel competent, and I get to be seen as competent. That's a good thing. Motivated by shame. Oh my goodness. Perfectionists are brutal with themselves. They use shame to motivate themselves to complete tasks. And unrelenting in the way in which they speak to themselves. Unkindly. You ever get to move into that conversation? Oh my goodness. It is blistering how perfectionists can speak to themselves. And the focus is to minimize criticism and avoid humiliation. If it's perfect, it will not be criticized. If I get criticized, that is the gateway into humiliation. And no, thank you. I must perfect. I must be perfect. Everything I do must be perfect to avoid any kind of criticism. Because I know what criticism means to me. Nothing good. I feel humiliated. And at the end of it, yes, shame is reinforced. See, you're not enough. Can't even do that task right. Stupid. And so on and so forth. That conversation grips yet again. The drive, love me for being flawless. Oh my, yes. That is a high bar. I'm flawless and love me because of it. And only see me as flawless. That's the deal. I make your life easier by being good at tasks, things that you don't have to do. I do. And best that you see me as perfect and flawless and love me because of that. Don't ever criticize me because if you do, I'll punish you. 
I'll stop talking to you. I'll ghost you. I'll yell at you. I don't know, whatever. I'll humiliate you. So you never do it again. Because if you do, this is exactly what you're going to get. Nothing you like. So smarten up. That's the message. And it's a stiff one. And people hear it quite loudly. The perfection is so focused on performing at tasks. They can undermine everything else, which is relationships, fundamentally. I don't care about relationships. I'm too busy perfecting this. This beautiful spreadsheet. Mowing the lawn perfectly. <laughs> organizing the cupboards. I don't know, whatever. Whatever is in my life that I can make perfect. That's what I am oriented towards. And so if my relationships suffer as a consequence, so be it. That's how it can be. It's a very lonely road, both of these strategies. And they're avoidance strategies, all designed to protect. Don't see me this way, see me that way. But the problem with that is that they always collapse. There's nothing to them. They're hollow. They're shallow avoidance strategies that never work. They're too stressful on self and everybody else for that matter. It pressurizes a relationship. The manipulation and control and dominance that live in these strategies suffocate anything good, including the self. And so as a perfectionist, they play out similar tactics as the pleaser. No, you don't get to sleep. You don't get to eat. You don't get to hydrate. You don't get to do those things because you have to finish this task. You have to get an A. It has to be perfect. Nobody can criticize you. You have to get to a place that you only get accolades. <laughs> That's what I want. That's your job to praise me and give me accolades for being this wonderful person. And that's the false delusion that we're after. And it's intense. So I have a question for you. Hmm. Which one do you relate to more than the other? Are you the pleaser or are you the perfectionist? We're both. If one doesn't work, we'll go to the next. <laughs> we'll play both of them, but one is more prevalent. For you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but which one do you lean towards? What would you say? Okay. Good. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And they intermingle for sure. It's quite the marriage, absolutely. Who else? What are you? More than the other, yeah. Perfectionist, okay, good. The pleaser, okay. The pleaser. The pleaser, okay. 60-40, pleaser. Pleaser, okay. Perfectionist, okay. So good, you can see yourself here. That's good. And so what you've identified is a problem. And you have a problem, and it is you. And to good, good to localize that issue. And the issue is you. 
and how you position yourself in the world. First and foremost, within yourself and then how you position yourself in the world and within relationships. And if not constrained, it'll devastate everything good in your life. It'll unwind relationships easily. That's already happened to you. You just have to look at your life to notice. Whatever problem that you have right now, one of these strategies are informing it. Absolutely. And so it's significant. It's not just you, it's all of us in our own way. And this is the interesting game we play with each other is through these strategies. So you don't ever get to be with me. You get to be with the illusion through the strategy of me. Who I'm supposed to be. Who I want to be. The ideal of me. Something like that. And so it's desensitized. And as soon as we become desensitized within the body, we're in trouble. It's a crisis. That's why I so appreciate the beautiful practice of yoga. It's about sensitizing and ridding ourselves of stress and strategies that live in the body. Get out, get out, get out as quickly as I, as quickly as I can move you out. When I look at my tendencies to be a perfectionist, and when I look at my life, how that has shown up, and how that's unwound relationships, because I've been so task-oriented, and the consequences of that have been significant. I've lost relationships, and I've lost opportunities to be with people. And how that led me into crisis in the body and my body in various different ways of having panic attacks and these kinds of things and feeling like I was going to have a heart attack. It's like, wow, something needs to change and like quickly. And it's very use useful as I see it to localize an issue because it's very difficult to change. It's extraordinarily difficult to change. If you've ever tried it, which you have, <laughs> you understand how difficult it is. You have to shift your entire life to make one change in your life. It's unbelievable, the lift and energy and commitment needed to change anything. And so there's an integrative quality and focus that comes out of these strategies. The pleaser is all about being autonomous, less reliant on other people. That's the integration for a pleaser. That I need to stand on my own two feet and share what's important for me and having the capacity to set boundaries for me, the individual. And not be so torn and pulled to please other people because that thins me out and that's not good for me. And so how do I become more autonomous in my life? You have to start saying no, you have to start negotiating in different ways to make sure that you're putting yourself in places that you wouldn't otherwise so you can take care of yourself. That's the practice in front of you, you the pleaser. Pull yourself together through your mat, in your practice, self-focused. And you do that over a span of time, how that can influence your relationships in a different way. And it will. I'm not saying you haven't been doing that. You have, but in a different way. And you know how that needs to shape up for you. The perfectionist is about intimacy. Oh. Vomit-inducing. 
Perfectionists do not like intimacy. That means they have to get close to people. <laughs> and the tendency for perfectionists is they're socially awkward. They don't have the skill set of skill set with being being with people because they're so busy doing things. And so intimacy is a great challenge to build as the perfectionist. It's very risky. It's like, how do you perfect another human being <laughs> that talks and has feelings and does their own thing? <laughs> Very difficult. And so it's a threat. And so as the perfectionist, how to move into relationships and to make those a priority, which is no easy task. And so on the mat, as a perfectionist, the idea is to build intimacy, to define your relationship to intimacy and what that means and represents. You, the individual. And if it's good for you, it'll be good for your relationships. And so the ability to pull yourself out of these strategies and to practice what's going to support you being different in the future is paramount because the chances of you being the pleaser on the mat and the perfectionist on the mat is more likely than anything else. These are very pervasive, pervasive strategies. And in my experience working with people, plenty of people have no idea who they are outside of these strategies. They have no idea who they are. That is not ideal. And so the idea is to pull, put space in between these strategies. That's the space we're looking to create and get informed in that space. Who are you in the space? The space in between your thoughts is one way of looking at it. Who are you there? The space in between your breath, who are you there? And how to create more of that space for you as the individual. So you can create the things that are more important to you, which are your values. Your values aren't present in these strategies. That's what's so devastating about them. They're not present. You have no access to your values. And that's where you betray yourself and abandon yourself over and over again through these strategies. Not good. And what's so fascinating, which is so intriguing, I'm so intrigued by relationships. <laughs> it's really the backbone of my approach. Pleasers are typically attracted to perfectionists and perfectionists are typically attracted to pleasers. You have something I don't have, and I'm attracted to those qualities. That's often the approach. And if not paid attention to, it'll gut the relationship. It'll rip it apart. The thing I once appreciated about you, I can't stand. <laughs> One of the qualities pleasers appreciate in perfectionists is order, the order, orderliness of a perfectionist. Pleasers are attracted to that. Perfectionists are attracted to the chaos in some ways of the pleaser, the spontaneity in some sense. And so those are just a few qualities that we can get attracted to. 
And if somebody else is creating that for me, then I don't have to do it myself. I just get to stay the same. That's the trap of relationships. You fill this void, I'll fill this void. You stay the same, I stay the same. <laughs> it's deadening. That's how it can be seen. It's like, you know, this is this balance. And there is some balance in that, but it's also deadening because we stay the same. There's no change. There's no life in these strategies. And it's the pretense that we have to pay attention to. Who we're pretending to be. The illusion, the cloak, the act. And so that's the breaking up through the practice. Seem reasonable? You ready for that? Let it be so. All right, everybody. See you on the mat. So good morning. I have a class in front of you and a theme to explore. An element to my approach is exploring three specific domains, physical, emotional, cognitive. And the attempt is to support you having practices in each of one of those, each of those domains, each physical, emotional, cognitive, and how important that is. If we have practices in each of those three domains, we can create synergy and alignment and how important that is. And you've experienced that in your life in various different ways. It's when you've had success, you're aligned in some way, physically, emotionally, cognitively. That's the center. You hear in yoga in some ways, how to center ourselves and to have synergy through these three domains. And so that's the focus I have in my teaching is how to create that, to get there and then stay there as long as possible until you get knocked off center again and have to put yourself back together, which happens multiple times a day, if not more, how often we get knocked off center and how important it is to bring ourselves back. And that's the premise of yoga as I see it, is to knock ourselves off center sometimes and bring ourselves back. So when it happens in the real world, you have a practice around it. If you get knocked off center too far and stay out there, you're in trouble. That is for sure. You've also experienced that in your life. And so you know what I'm speaking about. I understand there's a theme aligned with your retreat today called something like boundaries through communication. I don't know if I got that right, but something like that, which you're teaching later. Amazing. So I thought I'd bring my own take in on boundaries and hopefully it supports what you're doing. We'll see. And everything I teach speaks to this master theory I have, which I call the cycle of dis-ease. And it's a mapping system I put together over the last many years that is very specific and lethal in so many different ways. And it builds out how you get yourself into trouble. And it captures your language, you as the individual, which is very specific to you. And once you have the language, you have the capacity to change, which is so important. You have your language, then you have your listening. Once you have your listening, you have the capacity to change. You can stop listening to certain things and start listening to other things, which is so key in terms of manifesting change in our life. And so every time I teach, it's, a component or a piece to the master theory I've been putting together. 
And this is no different. Yesterday I shared with you, it's kind of this like rough outline of how we work, how the human experience unfolds. We have a belief, it informs the body, instigates emotions, and then we behave on our emotions. Some of our beliefs instigate this defense mechanism that we have, which supports strategies that we use to protect ourselves and specifically avoidance strategies. So we don't have to live out this belief we have of ourselves that we're flawed and have no value or people don't like us. We don't have a sense of belonging. We're unsafe, something like that. And so we play out these strategies and the strategies I spoke about yesterday, the first one was pleasing, the desire to please people. And if you're so likable, people won't reject you. And so the stance is love me because I'm so kind. That's the stance of a pleaser. I'll please you however I need to please you. You have to like me. That's the deal. The second strategy I explored yesterday, we explored together yesterday, was perfectionism. The drive to perfect. So I won't be criticized if things are perfect. And so if I'm perfect, your role is to love me for being flawless because I'm perfect. So that's the deal. I do perfect things and you love me because I'm flawless. That's the underhanded deal when it comes to perfectionism. And so we explored those two strategies yesterday and I'll continue to explore them now. Through the lens of boundaries. Boundaries are very interesting, very difficult to instigate. Because I see it, the, the premise of boundaries is to support your values. And so to have boundaries, you have to understand your values. Plenty of people have no idea what their values are. That's why they're so challenged with implementing boundaries. And so it's complex in that regard of what are the right boundaries? What boundaries am I setting in my life? And what do they support? And what you'll notice in your life is some of your boundaries are supporting nothing good. It's all the ways in which you get yourself into trouble. Some of your boundaries support that, absolutely. And the ideas you identify, localize, what boundaries you have that lead you into trouble. And sometimes you can't help yourself. It's that troublemaking side of you that loves the chaos in your life and stirs things up in your relationships. And so hopefully through this conversation, you can identify a boundary that leads you into trouble. And so you can abandon it as quickly as possible and perhaps choose the boundary that actually will support you and what you actually want. And so up on the board are some distinctions. Ooh, I love distinctions. Ha! It's how I problem solve. So I just write things down and try and make sense of it myself in my life. And this whole endeavor I've been after and on for the last many, many years is the attempt to sort myself out. Is the attempt to save myself from myself. That's what this is all about. This whole weird endeavor I've been under and the attempt to share it so I can be in conversation with people and to see if it actually makes sense. If it makes sense to me, it doesn't necessarily make sense to other people. And I want it to make sense to other people. In that, we can actually have some conversations. Perhaps something I say, you take. Some, perhaps something you say, I take. 
And there's this collaborative experience that comes from these kinds of conversations. And so that's what I'm looking to instigate, an actual conversation. Then we take it on the map. Oh, and that's where it gets real. So up on the top board, it says boundaries. You first have to understand that speaking is not safe. And that is absolutely true. Speaking is not safe. It's becoming more and more dangerous these days. All the weird shit that's happening out in the world. I'll cancel you. All these kinds of things. I'll shame you and blame you and suffocate you so you stop speaking. It's a very strange experience that's happening. And it's not good for anybody. And so therefore, boundaries are not safe. Because the way in which to instill boundaries is through communication. How else are you going to instill them? Through action, yes, in some ways, but that can be misinterpreted very easily. Our actions, and often are. And so speaking up is a way to instill and create and frame out boundaries. But you really have to understand that speaking is not safe, and you know that. You know that deeply, intimately, for sure. Just look at your relationships. <laughs> There's certain things you're not saying. That's true. Certainly to yourself. And most likely to people in your life, you're not saying certain things. And then you could ask yourself, well, why the hell am I not saying certain things? And what you'll see in that is you don't feel safe. And for obvious reasons. If you look at your past, the things in which you've said in the past didn't work out well for you. Perhaps you were ignored, not listened to, ridiculed, made fun of, shamed, blamed, told to shut up. And so we have a boatload of evidence why not to speak. And if we're not speaking, we're not instilling our boundaries, which is a problem. Not only for us, ourselves, and our own well-being, but that of our relationships as well. And it's the real potential to feel rejected. Oh, and pleasers. You pleasers out there. Oh, I see you. You hate it. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> the potential of feeling rejected you cannot stand. And so if that potential exists, you won't speak. You won't take the risk. It's like, no, 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 no. I'll just keep this to myself. I won't speak up. Because if you rejected me, I couldn't live with myself. So I won't. And that gets bottled up, stored somewhere. And for the perfectionist, the risk of speaking is the risk of being criticized. And so the perfectionist like, no. Criticism means humiliation. No, thank you. Even if it's good for me, I won't speak up. Even if I'm attempting to do something good for myself, I won't say it. Just in case I get criticized. Because I'm too brittle to receive that criticism. I'll fall apart. And so that's a real problem. And so if you identify yourself as a pleaser... What's useful about this conversation, you know what you're up against. Your concern of being rejected. You, the perfectionist, you can get a sense of what's stopping you from speaking and setting your boundaries. The concern of being criticized. You're identifying a problem, which is really useful. With that, aim to say what you need to say carefully and honestly. You have to aim at that. I'm saying this because it's good for me, and if it's good for me, it's good for us. And I'm saying it as carefully and as honestly as I can, because truth is good for me, and it's good for us. 
Even if it doesn't feel good, I'm still saying it. I have to say it. Because if I don't say it, I'm betraying myself. And if I'm betraying myself, I'm betraying us in this relationship. And that's not good. I have to stand up for myself, which is very difficult. That's what I love about yoga. It's all about standing up for yourself. Building the posture that supports your truth, whatever the hell that is. To be able to stand up straight. Eyes open. Face what you need to face. Training your body to have the posture that you need. To say what you need to say. But best I don't make unnecessary enemies. <laughs> ah. So fun making enemies, isn't it? Just poking the bear every once in a while and see what happens. <laughs> so that means you have to manage your aggression. And you're aggressive. That's why so many people are terrified of you. And that is true. The people that you're closest to are terrified of you because of your aggression. You ever notice what happens when you're not saying what you need to say? The aggressive side of you starts to bubble up until you can't constrain it any longer and it comes flying out in all of its wildness and the chaos is present. Maybe you stomp around, slam doors, throw dishes, yell, I don't know, ignore people. Whatever you do, what's something you do when you get aggressive? Oh, give me something, I'm so curious. What happens when you get aggressive, what do you do? Something you don't wanna say out loud. <laughs> Stop talking. Who else? Okay, judgmental criticism, yeah, good, who else? What do you do when you get aggressive? Ignore. Yeah. Okay. Which creates chaos in relationship. And it's the way in which you punish those that are around you because you feel wrong somehow. And you've done this to me. And you're a terrible person. And I'll show you how terrible you are by ignoring you, yelling at you, not paying attention to you, resisting you in some fashion. The ways in which we make enemies. If you do that for too long, there's not gonna be much of a relationship left. And both trust and respect make up a healthy relationship and they're very delicate. And it's easy to miss how delicate those two experiences are. Not only to create, but to get back. And sometimes we don't. I promise to stop saying things that leave me weak. That's a good boundary to have. <laughs> That's a hell of a good boundary to have. And so then I have a question for you. All these questions so early in the morning. What's one thing you could stop saying that leaves you weak? What's one thing you say to yourself? That if you stop saying immediately, Things would be different. What do you say to yourself? I'm sorry. It sounds so Canadian. Yeah, it's a great Canadian thing. Sorry. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Very good. Which attaches to your pleasing side? Mm -hmm. Just, I just. I just, okay. Good. Who else? What do you say to yourself that leaves you weak? I don't care. I don't care. Okay, but you do. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it's fine when it's not. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. 
<laughs> with the hand gesture, whatever. Yeah, good. And so again, in this conversation to identify something that you could stop saying to yourself and potentially to others and how different that would be. And it would be different. And that is a useful boundary to set, to pull something out of your vocabulary that you know doesn't do anything good for you. Instead, I'll take a determined stance towards my values. And that stops saying something that actually opposes your values. Like, I'm fine, whatever. When it's not, when your values are saying, hey, there's, not so, there's something not quite right here. Say something so you can sort this out. So you can feel safe, stable, a sense of belonging and collaboration with whoever you're with self, others, these kinds of things. And that's an informed stance that's needed. And so I'll orient myself properly so I can have the strength of character I need to support my self-care. And it really takes that strength of character to take care of yourself. It's a blistering experience. And if you've tried, do you know what I'm speaking about? Because you have tried. And what you'll notice potentially if you attempt to do this that much more, you may have people in your life that actually don't want that for you. Which is something you don't want to see, but worthwhile seeing nonetheless. That you may have people in your life that actually don't want good things for you. You want to know that. And like quickly. So you can make informed decisions about who you're spending time with. Which is a useful boundary in of itself. But you have to stand for that. Because if you're not standing for yourself, nobody will stand with you. And you know that. If you don't have enough self-respect to take care of yourself, nobody will respect you. And you know that. It's a dangerous game we can play when we start toying with our values and our boundaries. It's a dangerous game. And if we choose giving ourselves away too much, there'll be nothing left to regain. And that happens. And I imagine some of you have been on that edge at least once in your life, if not more. And if not that, you've seen people go too far in their life. You've seen that for sure. And so this is like a serious conversation. And the idea is that it is a serious conversation. It's a serious topic. Because what's at stake is you. That's what's at stake. And everything you consider to be good in your life is at stake when you start toying with your boundaries. And if you look at your life in a serious manner, you'll notice that there's some conflicts that you have currently in your life. And that conflict is showing you something, something you need to see. In an area of your life, you're not taking care of yourself. You're at odds with the value. You have a misinformed or a bent boundary in place that needs attention and like quickly. Because like any kind of dis-ease, it spreads over a span of time. If we're conflicted in one area in our life, it will soon lead into the next and to the next and to the next. And so I wish to explore these two strategies that much, much, that much more, pleasing and perfectionism. Just so you can understand what you're up against. I understand you know what you're up against. I'm looking to create some definition. And so as the pleaser, pleaser have, pleasers typically have watery boundaries. <laughs> Which is a funny thing to say. 
watery boundaries. They're fluid, which is beautiful in so many different ways. But it's like, whatever you want to do, I'll do. I'm just kind of going with the flow, chameleons, these kinds of things, pleasers. I'll go with whatever you say. And that flexibility is brilliant because it's needed. But it's also one way that we can lose ourselves as a pleaser. Pleasers have a tendency of internalizing problems and they take blame. So they tend to get quiet is the tendency of pleasers when things aren't going right. Justify negative behavior and do not defend themselves or yourself as a pleaser. Tend not to defend yourself, which is not ideal. Sacrifice your personal needs for the sake of harmony. There's conflict, whatever I need, whatever I need to do to sort this conflict out, I'll do. Even if I have to sacrifice myself to do it. I can't stand conflict. It means I'm close to being rejected and no. I refuse. And so I'll give a piece of myself. That's the sacrifice I'll make. And pleasers do not speak up for a fear of failure or rejection. Which is significant. And so what pleasers tend to do is they resent and then repress. And hot damn, when that comes out, whoo, you want to see a dragon? That is it. When the fire comes flying out, when there's so much built up, can't contain it anymore. And then there's a laundry list of why you're a terrible person. And I've been collecting this list for the last six months. <laughs> and now you get to listen to why I'm so embittered. And the blame usually goes out onto other people. And the aggression is there typically because pleasers know that they're irritated at themselves for allowing this to occur yet again. I'm not the problem, it's you. But somewhere deep inside the pleaser knows it's them. It's not anybody else. And that's the friction. And it's a very difficult problem to solve in that state. Especially when the resentment comes out. That's the aggression. That's where enemies are made. That's where sometimes relationships don't last. They don't survive. That fire. And so it's useful to understand the pathology of a pleaser. So you can instill and create the necessary boundaries so you don't have to go down this road. And one of the key elements is speaking up, standing for yourself, standing for what's right, and you know what's right. But what you have to confront is the fear you have of being rejected, which is intense. And that's the importance of having a physical practice, that you train your body to stand for that in your relationships. And you have to have your body behind you. You have to. And there's nothing supporting your voice. And what's interesting with the pleaser, the integration is aggressive, uh, aggressiveness. That too, but assertiveness. 
<laughs> the assertiveness, which is a conflict. It's conflicted for a pleaser. It's like, ah, assertiveness, no. That doesn't feel good in my body. And so the ability to, <laughs> you're smiling, Paige, because we've been having these conversations <laughs> about assertiveness, yeah. And it doesn't feel good because it's a conflict. Pleasers love feeling good. They're experience-based. That's just so, they're amazing at relationships. And so the assertiveness is like, ah, 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 what do I do with this thing? But it's building your tolerance around that experience. And so you can use it in a responsible way. So you don't repress yourself until you explode. You use the assertiveness to make things better in the moment as quickly as you can. And people want that from you. They need that from you. You cannot be a pushover in this world. It's not good for you being a pushover in this world. You will not like the person you will become 20, 20 years from now being a pushover in this world. And that should horrify you, that vision of yourself, being a pushover 20 years from now. And if it does, how important it is to make the steps now. Say what you need to say. Risk making an enemy, which is a lot to take on. I realize that. The perfectionists, oh, you perfectionists out here. <laughs> typically have rigid boundaries, a rigidity, stiff. And so perfectionists typically have very strong sound boundaries. And then that's it. <laughs> There's not much flexibility. <laughs> Can be insensitive to others, feelings in particular. Don't have a lot of attention on feelings, perfectionists. And so there's an insensitivity, not only with themselves, but certainly with other people. It's like feelings, whatever the hell those are. That's why perfectionists love tasks because a spreadsheet or a puzzle or I don't know, whatever, fixing a car doesn't have feelings. Just this blank, blank landscape that doesn't talk back and feel and these kinds of things. And so there's perfection in that. Perfectionists typically have discomfort in social settings. Kind of awkward socially. Which is useful to know. Very useful because some boundaries can be instilled there. And place yourself, you don't necessarily want to place yourself, which is in social settings. Especially when things are like, oh, I'm feeling so awkward with small talk and people looking at me. What do I do? I just want to jump out the window. Those moments in time where that anxiety kicks in for the perfectionist, that's a useful boundary to instill. Okay, how do I calm down in this experience? Instead of freaking out and running, can I settle in and connect? Impatience can lead to aggression. Perfectionists are typically impatient and bothered and just want things done properly. And so get out of my way because you're probably going to mess it up. And so let, just me, let me just do it and have a way of controlling 
and don't give other people an opportunity to be themselves and have a way of criticizing other people. Why are you doing that? You should do it this way. What's going on there? Don't cut the lettuce this way. You should do it this way. And just like pick, 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 pick people apart. And that combined with aggression is a hell of a recipe that people cannot withstand. And so it's the one way or a way that perfectionists can crush people. Fear of mistakes or failure can lead to inaction and perfectionists have a way of procrastinating, especially if they don't feel it's going to be perfect. It's like, no, I'll just wait. <laughs> if I have to wait a week, six months, a year, my entire life, I'll do it until it's perfect. And so perfectionists in terms of boundaries, they typically resist and reject. They resist other ideas, resist other people, and full out reject if they have to, as a way to protect themselves. It's a very lonely road perfectionists can lead themselves down. Because that level of perfectionism, people cannot stand, it's too much. It's too intense. It's the pathway to experiencing shame which perfectionists typically reinforce over and over again, criticizing themselves, criticizing other people. And it's the loop that continuously gets reinforced until there's nobody around. And that's a problem. And that is a stiff boundary that needs some loosening to say the least. And so the integration is collaboration. The very thing that perfectionists do not want and can't stand in their own way, it's like, ah, stupid collaboration. <laughs> and good to explore. Very useful to explore. And so if we're speaking about boundaries, perfection, uh, people pleasers, need to use their assertiveness to set their boundaries. Perfectionists need to use their communication to support collaboration, to get to know people, to pull people into their world, to support and encourage other people. That's the work of a perfectionist. And what's useful about that is things change. We start to explore lands that we don't tend to explore. And that's the expansion of self, the strength of character. And that's the attempt. And so this beautiful practice is all about that. If you're the pleaser, how are you creating assertiveness in your practice, challenging yourself, moving yourself to the edge, getting used to that energy, even the aggression you have. And there's plenty in there, that is for sure. And for you perfectionists, how to use your practice to collaborate with yourself, to unwind the rigidity, to create flexibility in your practice, to get out of the linear movements. And so that's what's in front of you in this practice. And this practice is aimed at your shoulders. Shoulder-based practice. You may ask yourself, why? Up on the board, Left shoulder, controlled by others. <laughs> the right side, controlling others and self. 
shoulders have a way of pulling up. It's like, and that tension held in the shoulders. And to be able to rid yourself of that tension that we can hold in our shoulders and to shake it out of you. And you'll have opportunities to do that in your practice. And the way in which I teach, I give you opportunities to move yourself physically, emotionally, cognitively. And so to rattle yourself up, I wish that for you because you need it. You up for that? We'll see about that. So push into yourself this morning. See you on your mat. So good morning. You have a practice in front of you. And my attempt here through this conversation is to shape your practice, to shape it, to give you something to aim at. And so it becomes a meaningful experience, you on your mat. The practice of yoga can be mindless, mechanical, robotic, easily. I've experienced that in my own practice. I see that often. It's just kind of like tick off the to-do list. And with the consideration that I'm doing something good for myself, that's not necessarily true. It's very easy to reinforce and integrate pattern strategies and habits that aren't good for us. And the practice of yoga is perfect for that in so many different ways, if we're not paying attention. And that's why it's so important to pay attention to what you're practicing. Practice to practice. Everything's a practice. Just a bundle of practices. Everything we do has a practice wrapped around it. And so my attempt is to shape your practice so you can be with with yourself in a specific way. And attempt to get to know yourself from various different viewpoints. And there's plenty of utility in that. Having the capacity to see yourself in various different ways. So what I'll speak about this morning is disintegrated aggression. I don't know how this worked out. This just turned into a multi-part series having you here. So this is like part three, I guess. (laughs) Let's see where this goes. (laughs) And one of the elements I appreciate about learning but also teaching is reinforcing and adding, reinforcing and adding. And... I've been doing that over the last couple of days, and that's my attempt again here, and talking about strategies that cultivate aggression and how that aggression can be disintegrated, which creates chaos. The point is to have integrated aggression because we're aggressive. If you haven't noticed, you can get very aggressive very quickly. I could imagine that, especially when things aren't going your way. And having the capacity to integrate your aggression is a key element to being an integrated being. So you're not blowing out and making messes in your life and all of a sudden being, uh, get distracted with cleaning up a mess that you created versus funneling your aggression and energy into things that matter, the things that fuel you and make things better. And so I'll speak about disintegrated aggression this morning and see where it goes. I'll give you some opportunities to practice cultivating some aggression on your mat and see where that takes you. Aggression is typically 
like pulled out of this from a young age. That's the tendency. It's like socialized out of us. Maybe it's the best way of putting it. You can't behave that way. You can't act like that. You can't do this. You can't do that. No, these kinds of things. And that aggression has to go somewhere. And so we learn how to bottle it and store it and keep it in our bodies in various different ways. If you have kids or spend time with kids, at a particular stage in their development, they're amazing at expression. They just express, ah, I'm happy or I'm mad as hell and you'll know. And then at some point that starts to dissipate and they become less expression, less expression less in some ways. They start to mitigate and hold themselves in various different ways. And if you've had kids, you've noticed that. And that's the consequence of being socialized in various different ways and having the aggression pulled out of us in some ways or the desire to suppress behaving that way because we get in trouble. It's not accepted. And so the idea is to make this an acceptable part of you because there is a part of you that doesn't accept your aggression. That's why it can be disintegrated. And then what to do with it when it arises because it does arise like every day when somebody cuts you off in traffic or ignores you or I don't know, forgets the milk or whatever. The aggression is right there, just underneath the skin. And then so it's like, what do you do with it? And how important it is to move it. And so I have some distinctions up on the boards. We can err on the side of fear and shame and feel embarrassed about who we are. And that is belief system. The belief system, your belief system, that you're flawed in some ways. And that's true. We all are in our own unique way. But the belief system, our belief system, our unique belief system will lead us into the state of feeling embarrassed and ashamed about who we are. And leads us into the statement, I should be different. I should be different. Doesn't seem like anybody else is feeling this way. I don't know why I feel this way. I should be different. I shouldn't feel this way, look this way, behave this way. Life shouldn't be this way. And the idea is that you follow along, you have your own unique language in this conversation. Why am I not getting what I want and need? And what that creates for you. The drive to prove and perform is exhausting. And I mostly feel lonely and discouraged. Being out there in the world attempting to create connections and a semblance of safety through relationships and to prove and perform that I'm not that, I am this. I'm not unworthy, I am worthy. I'm not dumb, I'm smart. I'm not unlovable, I am lovable. And this drive we have to perform and to prove that we're not something we believe. That's exhausting work. Maybe you start to think that life is twisted against you and that's easy to feel that way. You feel wrong, taken advantage of, and disillusioned. What manifests from that is resentment, becoming embittered. And that is a dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. Not only for self-preservation, but also your relationships. 
and unconstrained, it can bleed out into acts of violence. Again, against self, against others, against society. And you want to see examples of that, all you do is have to go on social media, the news, these kinds of things. Unconstrained, it goes out into the community in horrible ways. You may think to yourself, I could never be that way. It's like, yes, you are that way. You're absolutely that way. And the capacity you have to create menacing results in your life is really quite true and real. And to notice what resentment builds in you, it's a miserable experience. Aggression turned inward creates self, a self-destructive pathology. We'll take our part, ourselves apart. We'll strip ourselves apart piece by piece until there's no self-respect and we're disgusted with being ourselves, which can lead us into numbing out, addiction, suicide, the ultimate act of self-destruction. Aggression turned outwards decimates relationships. Who would want to be around somebody that is resentful? miserable, volatile, not too many people. And how we can dismantle relationships if our aggression is unconstrained. The more you thrash, the more you think, I'm better off on my own. And you've thought that before. Definitely thought that before. Maybe you're thinking that now. And I'll punish, rage, and wreck my way to loneliness. And there is a part of you that wants that. There's a very part of you that pulls you out of interactions with people, relationships with people, moves you in the world in various different ways. You cut off relationship, conversation, gets you moving outside, uh, out of experiences where you're on your own. Whatever you do on your own. Eat a tub of ice cream in the bathtub. I don't know, drinking wine, smoking weed. All those things that we can do that pulls us out of being in a relationship so we can simply be on our own, feeling miserable. You could think, it's like, huh, when have I done that last? Where have I pulled myself out of a conversation, a relationship so I could be on my own? And what did that feel like when I did that? And what is my practice there? You have one. It's well-patterned. Maybe you lock yourself in the bathroom, the bedroom. Maybe you sleep. Maybe you go for a run. Well, the various different things you do to pull yourself out so you can be alone. That's good for you to know. Because it's worth breaking up every once in a while. Because it's not good for you. And it's certainly not good for your relationships. And if that is practiced often, you won't have any relationships. You'll be too volatile. Nobody will trust you because nobody can count on you. And that's something to pay attention to. Absolutely. It's a key element to relationships. There's got to be something that people can push into and you push back. And so people understand where you stand. That's the basis of a relationship. That we can feel each other, push into each other, challenge each other every once in a while, but also respect and love each other. That's not so easy. 
And so disintegrated aggression manifests from strategies and the strategies we've been discussing over the last couple of days. People pleasing and perfectionism. Very prevalent practices, very. So much so you can't even see the strategy in your life, not to the degree in which it exists. And so I've asked you, if you've been here over the last couple of days, which is more prevalent in your life? Are you a pleaser or are you a perfectionist? You're both, we are. We switch back and forth. <clears throat> But that's a useful question to ask yourself. What am I predominantly? Am I a pleaser or am I a perfectionist? Because it gives you something to really work on and to see yourself in. And then attempt to practice yourself, practice yourself out of it, which is a key practice and a good practice to have. And so I'll walk you through the pleaser. The drive for a pleaser is love me for being kind. I am so kind. And because I'm so kind, how could you not like me? I'm just so damn lovable. And so that's the drive. Love me for being kind. The challenge of that is once people start appreciating your kindness, you're in a trap. Because then you always have to be that way. People expect you to be that way. And if you're not, things don't go well. People have something to say. Why are you unhappy? Ah, conflict. And so we have a way of suppressing anything other than being kind, even when we're not feeling that way. The desire to feel needed and validated. That's why pleasers are needy, because they want to be needed. I don't know who I am if I'm not being needed. And so need me. So I have a place in this relationship. I have a place in society. I have a place in this world that people need me. If they need me, I get validated. Aha, I'm likable and they love me. How wonderful. The strategy, be nice and accommodating to control. That's where we get underhanded. It's a self-based practice. It's a selfish practice. I'm going to be nice and accommodating to you so I get what I want. And what I want is to be validated. And so what do I have to do to control you to get that from you? I'll do it. And there's a level of intensity that comes with that focus. Seeks praise to secure love, to feel safe. So if somebody is praising me, that means they must love me. And if I'm loved, I can feel safe because I'm not on my own. I'm not alone. The challenge with all of this is pleasers are seen as weak and needy. That's how they can be seen as time at times. Can't make a decision. They're smothering. Ah, ah, ah. And so over the top, people will push pleasers away because it's too much. Let me make a decision. Let me do something on my own. Stop smothering me. And that resistance to get outside of that experience will create this perspective that they're being rejected. Which cultivates conflict. 
Conflict is an aggressive experience. And pleasers can resent. And that's how the aggression comes out, through resentment. I mentioned that yesterday. I have a long list of things I've been collecting along the way that I do for you, <laughs> that you don't appreciate, and why you're a terrible person. And that's how the aggression can come out through a pleaser, focused on somebody specifically. And it's a blazing experience, a lot of heat that some people can't survive for good reason. And so the aggression for a pleaser typically gets repressed until it blows up. Self-destructive and then decimates relationships. And if you relate to being a pleaser, you know what I'm speaking about. <laughs> can see it on your face. And how difficult it is to clean that up. It's very difficult. And takes some time. And what it takes away from is trust and respect within the relationship. There's less of it in the relationship. And sometimes you can never get it back. And I, I argue you can never get it back. The relationship changes. Sometimes for the better. Sometimes for the worse. And so the integration for a pleaser is autonomy and assertiveness. To say what you need to say in the moment to make things better now, not to wait. As you speak up, you're much more self-sufficient, which is good. Less reliance on other people. You become stronger as a consequence. You're less of a shapeshifter. You're more you. And that's what people get to feel. And that's what people need from you. Something to push into. And so they get a sense of who you are and where you are specifically. That'll be challenging to alter this. Some of the people in your life won't like it. You're the perfect character for them in their life and they're getting exactly what they want from you. And so stay the same. That's the message. Not all the time, but there is a part of people, there is a part in all of us that resists change within ourselves and certainly outside of ourselves through other people. So you have to be present to that. If you have a desire to change, and if you do change, and good for you if you do, if you're attempting to make things better, it's not just you changing, it's everybody around you. You have to get used to this new thing you are. And it's disorienting. It changes everything. And to understand that, that's why change is so difficult. You're not just changing one thing in your life, you're changing your entire life and you're changing everybody else's life around you. And that often gets missed. And so the attempt to be assertive, much more assertive in your life, which is not aggression, that's different. But to be out in front of yourself, speaking out, saying no, sometimes. <laughs> And so the perfectionists, the drive, love me for being flawless. No pressure there. I have to be flawless, flawless, flawless. The desire is to feel useful and encouraged. Perfectionists are starved for encouragement because they don't give it to themselves. What they tend to do is berate themselves 
And so they're starved for encouragement. That's what they're looking for. And if they're encouraged, they feel useful. Hey, yes, I'm useful. And if I'm useful, people will keep me around. That's good. If I'm kept around, I'm not by myself. The strategy, adopt responsibility to control. I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this. And so you have nothing and so I'm in control. Thank you very much. You're probably going to mess it up anyway, so it's best that I do it. Because <laughs> I'll do it perfect. It'll be flawless and I'll be flawless and then you can just love me. Seeks recognition and accolades to feel safe. If you recognize me and pepper me with accolades, then yes, I will feel loved. And if I feel loved, I can feel safe. Seen as rigid and arrogant perfectionist, which people tend not to like. <laughs> the rigidity and arrogance that can come through a perfectionist because it's stiff. And typically there's no space for anybody else to be in that environment. You get squeezed out and people can feel less than in the presence of perfectionists. Never live up to the, bar, the high bar. Perfectionists have, have a tendency of criticizing other people and who the hell would wanna be in that experience? Not too many people getting picked at, picked at, picked at. And so what ends up happening is people will push the perfectionist away. I don't like this experience you're creating for me, so get away from me. And in that, ah, I'm no longer useful. Where's my accolades and validation? I have to have people around me to tell me who I am and then I'm a good person. Conflict. That conflict will manifest into aggression. Unconstrained will decimate not only self but other relationships and very quickly perfectionists are typically outspoken because they're disagreeable and they have a lot to say <laughs> that informed with aggression will create conflict for other people it's a lot of heat to be in the presence of. And plenty of people choose not to be in the heat. This is how we can unravel our relationships and our closest relationships. If you've ever lost a relationship, if your relationship is ever unwound, and it has, you've been long, around long enough, welcome to the source in some ways. These strategies have a way of doing that, dismantling relationships. And what's interesting, the intent is, can be seen as good. I want to make life better for other people, but that's not necessarily true. That's the illusion. It's a self-centered approach, all designed to control other people to get something from them. It's a stiff perspective to take on because the perspective you have to take on is that you are controlling and manipulative and self-centered in your relationships. All the time, of course not. At times, absolutely. And best you understand when that shows itself. Because what's at risk, what's at stake is a lot. 
in my experience, plenty of people don't think that far in advance of what's possible from behaving this way in relationship. Well, what's possible is you don't have a relationship. That's what's possible. And nothing good comes from that. You being alone on your own, especially if it's forced upon you, meaning people don't want to be with you. The integration for perfectionists is to cooperate and collaborate. Gut-wrenching. <laughs> the very thing they don't want to do is to cooperate and collaborate. The practice is to encourage other people. That's a practice for perfectionists, to start to encourage other people. Thank you for doing that. Great job. I appreciate your whatever effort, these kinds of things. Because the tendency is perfectionists don't do that. Some of you did the nippy yesterday, a sweat lodge. Thank you, Cal. Oof, what a day, ceremony day. One of the insights that came to me in my experience in the nippy was my relationship to scarcity. And I've been tracking this for a little while. And what came to me yesterday is, is my relationship to scarcity, but more specifically, my relationship to losing. And that was interesting just to notice that. That I don't like to lose. And the fear there is that I'm going to lose everything. Oh. And when I got that perspective, I started to track how that's shown up in my life. The desire not to lose and how much attention I've had on that and how I've used aggression to make sure I wasn't losing, that I could win. And in various different ways. Win at sports, win at work, win at passion. Win at relationship, win at conversation, win, win, win. And what I'm noticing in that is, of course, the sadness that's attached to that. That how much pressure I've put on myself to not lose and the fear and concern I've had of losing because I've seen the consequences of losing. I've seen that in my family lineage. I've seen that around me when people lose things and how devastating that is. And that fear has been driving me. Wasn't expecting <laughs> all this emotion. <laughs> and just the grip it's had on me and how little space I've given myself and how I've used the strategy of perfectionism to make sure I wasn't losing. If I'm perfect, then I can't lose. If what I produce is perfect, then I can't lose. 
And so I've been unrelenting in that pursuit of not losing and not, not necessarily winning, but that's in there. The focus is in not losing, whatever the hell that means. And it's cost me a lot. It's cost me my health for sure. It's cost me a lot of opportunities, absolutely. It's definitely cost me relationships. And so I appreciate that perspective that came to me. It doesn't feel very good. Because it's catapulted me into the past. <laughs> and so I'm reliving all of these experiences real time. I'm like, ah, yes, it's here, it's there, it's been here, it's been there. And it's still here. And how many times have been called intense in my life? You're so intense. <laughs> You're the most intense person I've ever met. <laughs> and I understood that in some ways, but I'm understanding it in a whole other way now. That appetite for not losing, that's what's been driving me. The fear of failure. And there's a lot of strengths attached to that. I'm strong as a consequence of holding on to that fear, but then I'm also brittle. And so it's a delicate balance I find myself in of how to pull this thing apart. So I'm less fearful, I'm less scared and have this mindset of scarcity that I'm gonna lose everything tomorrow. And so that's the practice of how to unwind the strategy of perfectionism. That it's not useful for me. It decimates any kind of trust and faith that I have in anything. So it's like a real example that I'm toying with now and how these strategies can interfere. And that's the separation that has to occur. What's the strategy? What's the value? What's your strategies? What's your values? And that's intricate. Useful to explore because your values are not your strategies. So the focus is the practice is on your side bodies. Delicate area of the body. The right side is where we can hold suppressed rage. The left side, worry, sadness, and bitterness. A lot held here. And so the idea of working through the side bodies is to create openness. And so you can release heat, release heat, the heat that often gets stored in organs. So how to release, open up, move in a way that you're releasing heat. Aggressiveness can create heat, spiciness. <laughs> and if it's disintegrated, it will come out in weird ways, ways that you don't want. And so the practice in front of you is an opportunity to be aggressive. And to move that stored up aggressive and aggressiveness in a responsible way. So there's more of you present for not only yourself, but other people in your life. And you start teaching yourself how to use your aggressiveness in a productive way. That you're funneling into things that mean and matter something to you. To make things better, not worse. So that's what's in store for you. Can you see yourself here? This conversation on these boards?
Anybody have a quick thought about what came up for you? Yeah, thank you. I'm wondering if there's also a dynamic where these two seek each other out in order to activate these underlying emotions. Yeah, like so please roll. Yeah. Be intrigued by perfectionist and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is the tendency. Yeah, and I spoke about that over the last couple of days is that the pleaser is often attracted to the perfectionist and the perfectionist is often attracted to the pleaser. Because the pleaser has qualities the perfectionist doesn't have, like order, and has the capacity to get things done. The pleaser is spontaneous, spontaneous and lively and chaotic in some ways. And the professionals that find that attractive, they can't typically produce that on their own. To be spontaneous, it's like, nope, too busy being orderly. <laughs> There's no room for spontaneity. <laughs> and so we are attracted to the opposite in various different ways. And if you're not careful, that will shift into resentment. We'll start to resent the very qualities that we appreciated in somebody. And that happens especially over a span of time. So yeah, there is those attractive qualities for sure. Yeah, hi. So, a lot of times, right, the perfectionist people with me do achieve a lot. Yeah. And how is that not like sometimes admirable or worthy of like, I mean, because this person did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're high achievers, perfectionists, for sure. The difference is what's driving the behaviors. Is it your values or is it a strategy? And the strategy will decimate. And so it will deconstruct you as an individual because you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, shame is what fuels a perfectionist. They shame themselves into production. You know it's rare. If the strategy has them and is driving them and they're getting accolades, they won't change. It's like, this is exactly what I want. I'm achieving. I get to prove that I'm perfect and people are appreciating that perfectionism. And so the chance of, of a perfectionist wanting to abandon that strategy is very unlikely. And so they'll work themselves to death, like literally. And that's not good. And so the focus is on tasks not relationships. And so there's plenty of high performers that don't have much of a life. Their families are a mess, if they even have a family. You have to sacrifice a tremendous amount to achieve. And that might be good for some people, maybe. But you have to separate a lot to be that way. And so it's a significant sacrifice in all of that. And it's not great. They'll start to fall apart at some point. And I'm sure you've seen that. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Values are different. If values are producing the achievement, the tendency is to take care of oneself along the way. Pause every once in a while. Take a vacation. Appreciate people. Have some small talk. Code for dinner, these kinds of things. 
Yeah, it's more like, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, like, a value I have is being of service. Now, that was passed on to me from my father. So being of service. This is a manifestation of that peace retreat in some ways. But it would be easy for me to tear myself apart having a place like this, being the perfectionist, because nothing's perfect. And if I was so focused on that, I would literally kill myself. And so the value of being of service wouldn't be out in the forefront. I'd be so busy at task-oriented things, I would lose the ability to be with people and to contribute to people through teaching, through conversation, through whatever. And so I would minimize my value and allow my strategy to strengthen. And so that's how we get ourselves into trouble. Okay. I could talk about this stuff for hours, but I won't. So notice, oh, you have something. What do you have? No. Yeah, these strategies minimize your value hierarchy, for sure. You have to understand your values. Then you'll start to understand which values are being minimized as a consequence of you being the pleaser or the perfectionist. Which one, which strategy do you rely on more than in, more than the other? Are you a pleaser or a perfectionist? Yeah, it always depends. But which one is more prevalent in your life? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so that's good. And then you have to ask yourself, like, what are your values? And what you'll notice is one of those strategies is sitting on right on top of one of your values, and it's weak. And you're not, it's so weak that you can't give it to yourself. And you're seeking it from other people. That's why you can be so needy in a relationship. The need you have in a relationship is a value. That's what you're seeking. And it's the very value that's so weak in you, you can't give it to yourself because it's being suffocated by your strategy. And so to be able to peel the strategy off and to give life to the value and strengthen that, that's a different kind of practice. And so these strategies suffocate you literally from the inside out. That's dis-ease. You've lost ease. Not something worth toying with. There's nothing good in that. And the consequences will visit you at some point in your life. If you're in the healthcare industry, you see that every day. The consequences of people behaving like this unbeknownst to them. So there's a lot at stake. And so I encourage you to practice getting outside of your strategy and to use your aggression to do it, to rid yourself of this strategy. And sometimes you've got to use anger as a way to do it. Oh, and you're angry. You're angry, I can tell. <laughs> and there's a lot of reasons why to be angry. And so let that anger out in flashes or its monstrous side through this practice. I'll give you some opportunities to do that. Nice to be with you. See you on your mat, everybody. So good morning. It's been nice having you here. Whether you just got here or not, but, you know, there's this fine group that's here. 
and have been here for the last several days and I've appreciated you being here and uh, the focus you've had of being here. I have my own sense of that, but also observing and um, noticing you and listening to you and I've appreciated the approach and I've certainly appreciated your receptivity to me and how meaningful that is for me and gives me an opportunity to um, live out a passion I have, which is teaching. And so I appreciate your, your acceptance of me in this setting. And so thank you for that. This has turned into some mm, multi-part series. <laughs> so here comes the next part. And I've been enjoying, uh, you know, putting this together. It just gives me yet more opportunities to define my approach, refine my approach. And uh, that's what I've been working on is I want my approach to be lethal, that you can't escape it. <laughs> and that's what I've been working on for many years. And it is a lethal approach. And that aligns with yoga in various different, in, in various different ways because the way I see yoga, it is the death of self. That's what we're moving ourselves towards when you lay out in Shavasana at the end. It's like, what part of you are you allowing to die? And you have a say in that. What's complex about that is the human experience. And what do we choose? And that's where my approach lives, is giving you an opportunity to find what needs to fall away from you. Because it's tormenting you. It's no longer useful. It once was, it is no longer. And the ability to define that and to be able to cut it away from you is essential. Otherwise, it'll drag you down. And you know what that feels like. You've been around long enough, seems to me. <laughs> and so this morning, I'm going to talk about the cycle of dis-ease. That's what I call this mapping system I put together over the years. And this is like a simplified version of it. And I've been introducing parts of it over the last several days. And this morning, I'll attempt to tie more of it together. Has it been useful for those that have been here? Yeah, okay, good. Seeing yourself in it, very good. And so the class focus today is on the kidneys. Haha, <laughs> tender, tender down there, the kidneys. <laughs> and I'm gonna build a case around why it's worthwhile having attention on your kidneys. Right kidney, worry about everything. Right side, that's where we hold worry. You could even say fear. Left side, want to be someone else, which is an interesting perspective and energy. Want to be someone else. And that's been true for you somewhere in your life. It's true for you now. And that's the case I'm attempting to build, how you're actually attempting to be someone else than who you are. That's the cloaking that this cycle creates for us. It cloaks us. And we start pretending. That's the divide. That's the gap we create. That's the conflict we're in. I'm not that, I'm this. And so best that you see me as this, never see me as that. And so that's the facade, that's the game we're playing in our own unique way. And so that's the case I'm gonna build this morning. And perhaps you can see yourself in it. So up on the board, cycle of dis-ease, some distinctions. Your belief system is the root cause of chronic stress. The way in which you think and how that can manifest into stress 
start thinking about something, you get worried that evokes an emotional response and then you start behaving in various different ways based on that belief. Fear and shame anchor stress in the body by way of strategies. And we've been talking about strategies over the last couple of days. So those, those emotional responses get anchored in the body. Avoidance strategies are designed to avoid emotional pain. It's like, who wants to feel fear and shame? They're significant and they mean a lot. That's the challenge. These emotions have a tremendous amount of meaning attached to them. And they pull us into the past where we experienced pain. And so we look to avoid that experience, those experiences, that kind of pain. That's the avoidance. No, I don't want to feel this. I'm going to go over here where it's much more safe. While employed to seek out short-term gratifications. So avoidance strategies. No, I don't want to feel this. I'm going to move over here and seek out praise and accolades. Tell me that I'm a good person. Tell me that I'm doing good things because I need that opposing view to prove that I'm not that. I'm not this weakened individual that's full of fear and shame and um, cowardice in my own way. And so tell me I'm not that. And those are the strategies. The strategies we've been talking about, people pleasing and perfectionism, those are the avoidance strategies. I'm looking to avoid shame. I'm looking to avoid fear. And I do that through relationships, that's the pleaser, or through task-oriented focuses, the perfectionist. I'd rather this than that. I'd rather this, I'd rather this than that. That is the game we can play. I'd rather have that than this. I'd rather feel this than that. And we get pulled apart, separated, separated, separated over a span of time. Strategies suffocate values and overextend the body. Strategies suffocate values. No, you don't get that good thing that you know you need. Get on with it. You have people to please and things to perfect. You don't get the rest. If you rest, that means you're lazy. You lazy son of a bitch, get up. You have things to do. And the body gets taxed. This is where the tyrant and slave exist. The mind, the tyrant, the body, the slave. You do what you're told, and if you don't do, I will punish you. And we have a way of weakening our body so it submits. It can't fight back because the body, your body, has a very different message than your mind. It's like, help me down here. I'm in crisis. Why are you ignoring me? I need you. Stop abandoning me. You're betraying me. And I can't handle it. I'm falling apart. Help. That's typically the message of the body that the mind refuses to listen to. And so we're in a weakened state. And it's through deprivation we deprive ourselves of our values. Our values strengthen because we have a tendency of taking care of ourselves when we are aligned to our values. When we're not, we're depriving ourselves. That's the weakened state. The mind-body conflict and the stress associated with it will devolve you into a weakened state. 
and the very place where dis-ease lives, where you've lost ease. And at some point, you will blow out where you're weakest, wherever that is. There's no other end result than that, that we blow out where we're weakest. That's waiting for all of us. If we keep toying with this cycle, and perhaps it's already happened to you. You've certainly seen it. You've seen it in your family for sure. You've seen it, those around you for sure. It's a lot to take on. It's like, whoa, nice uplifting conversation on a Friday afternoon. But the idea is that it is so in front of you, you can no longer resist it that the complications and the cost is too severe for you to turn away from it anymore and to wake up. And what do I need to do in my life right now to prevent that from occurring any longer? And that's like the blistering truth, which is very difficult to confront and to embrace. And this just doesn't happen once, like, oh, I've got it under control. <laughs> I figured myself out. It's like, good for you if you got an insight. And then your strategy morphs, shift, shape shifts into something different. And that's why it's so important to be attentive, to be present, to be sensitive, to have physical practices, to keep your body in tuned and the capacity for you to listen to what's happening in your body. This cycle doesn't allow that, doesn't want it. Yesterday I was talking about my relationship to scarcity and more so my concern about losing and how much fear that has instilled in me over the years. And that focus, that lasered focus I've had on not losing, what I've sacrificed is intimacy. And I define intimacy as nurturing. It's one, one phase of intimacy for me. And so I deprived myself of nurturing. I would never allow myself to be nurtured, ever. I did not give that to myself and I would not allow that into my space. That softness disgusted me. There was a part of me that dis was deeply and still is deeply disgusted by that softness, that need I have of being nurtured. And it's a need because it opposed me being fighter ready. That's so interesting to me. And how much of a challenger I am and how much I fought in my life and like literally fought for many, many years and constantly in chaos and conflict, ready for the next fight. And so that nurturing, that softness did not serve me. That's how I convinced myself, no, you're not allowed that. And so stop asking for it. And so that's how I sacrificed the value. That's how that strategy suffocated something I needed because it is a direct line to self-care and a key element to relationship. 
having the capacity to nurture other people, having the capacity to allow others to nurture. I wouldn't allow it. And it's been a tremendous amount of work and effort on my part to transform that. And it still is a significant effort for me to continue to position myself in a place where I could be nurtured. And it's deeply unpleasant at times. It's like fricking ah, skin crawling. <laughs> and so one of the challenges I've had is my relationship to women. That's a whole other element to this. The conflict that lived within, no, you're not allowed to be nurtured. How would I be nurtured? Well, it's through women. Women are nurturing, typically. And so I have no idea how to nurture myself. That wasn't taught to me. It wasn't given to me. And so how do I receive that? And you're a great threat. You frightening women are deep threat. You are that which nurtures and you are that which withholds. That's my relationship to you. Ah, and <laughs> that has been a very challenging conflict to sort out in my life. Because that withholding has crippled me and has left me weak for sure. And from a very young age. And so it's taken me years to build up my tolerance level. To actually position myself to actually be nurtured. <laughs> and also potentially be rejected. That's the withholding. And so my relationship to scarcity moves out in various different directions. I'm just seeing this in new ways over the last couple of days. And how that's left me scared. Scared of myself, scared of others, just scared. That's the fighter. I have to fight to feel huh, safe. <sighs> I'm just tying some things together in real time, so <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> and it's so interesting to me to have that insight. That fighter side of me is like fighting to feel safe. Huh, so interesting. But all the while I've been pummeling myself along the way. So these strategies suffocate and they're suffocating you right now in some way. And the ability to realize that and where and to localize that and to move into it, the very thing you don't want to do. And this never changes. You sort one problem out and the next manifests and the next and the next. And that's the ability to strengthen your value structure. That one is at the top getting the most attention, that means one is at the bottom getting the least amount of attention. And those have to be shifted every once in a while. And what an extraordinary practice that you continuously confront the problems that you have. It's brilliant.
because it will strengthen you, even when it doesn't feel very good. And so the cycle, I'm going to break this down and hmm, perhaps more clarity. The belief, we all have beliefs and the belief system or belief system can get us into trouble and create stress. A belief is I'm unlikable. That's a belief. I'm unlovable. Nobody likes me. Ah, that sucks. What a belief. It's a stiff belief. Another belief is something like I'm not enough of whatever, which is also a stiff belief. And these beliefs have an architecture that follows. On the left side, I'm unlikable, is the pleaser. It's a fear-based experience. That's the emotion that is evoked from that belief, fear. I'm not enough or something like that is a shame-based experience. Mm. And those emotions create this statement, there's something wrong here. These don't feel very good in my body. There's something wrong here. I need to protect. I need to defend myself. Something is not going to go well. And how do you know that? Look at your past. Things have not gone well when those experiences manifested. You've been protecting yourself ever since. And so that concern, there's something wrong here, evokes, employs the avoiding strategies, the ways in which you protect yourself. People-pleasing and perfectionism. And it's good for you to know which one is more predominant for you. It's very good because then you have the track. You have the architecture that you can start to toy with, unfold, break up potentially. And the sacrifice when it comes to these protection strategies, I sacrifice my values for short-term gratification. I don't want to feel this. So I have to go do something, like perfect something. So I can feel good about myself and maybe in that somebody can compliment me. And that compliment will go a long way of opposing this belief I have and this emotion I'm feeling. Maybe if I bake somebody cupcakes and walk them over to the neighbor, perhaps they'll compliment me. Praise me for being a good person. In that compliment is the opposing force I need to push against my belief, this emotion. That's where we get desperate. We thin ourselves out. The belief, the stress, the emotion response, the stress that lives in the body. The result, scarcity and deprivation. There's less than, there's less of this available. And we're depriving ourselves of the very things we need, which is a value structure. The thing that keeps us together, keeps us sane, having the capacity to take care of ourselves, take care of other people. When those are not present, there's scarcity, less than. Something's not quite right. And so for the pleaser, the inability to feel loved, even if somebody tells you that you're a likable person or lovable, you don't believe them anyways. Because the belief is so strong. You're not lovable. And even when somebody has told you they love you, you don't believe it. And I imagine if you relate to being a pleaser, that's been true for you somewhere in your life. 
that you're seeking that kind of praise from somebody. And even when you get it, you don't believe it. It's very strange. And so that fear does not allow you to be loved. It doesn't allow. Nope. The love can't get in. The protection is so deep. For the perfectionist, it's the inability to feel successful. Those accolades, wow, you do such a great job, these kinds of things. You don't believe it anyways. I could have done, I could have done it better and I missed this and you start critiquing your own experience. And so you don't allow success anyways. You're already on to the next thing. Critique that thing and on to the next thing. What's the next to-do list I have to tick off so I can feel good about myself? And so the shame does not allow you to feel successful. It doesn't allow it in. You're too protected. Nope. And so that's the conflict. We're seeking it out. And when it comes, we don't actually believe it because our belief system doesn't allow it. That's the endless pursuit that we can be in. That's the thinning out. It's the deep pit, the hole that's never satiated. The outcome, you're right about your belief and good for you, you get to be right. Oh, and it's so sweet to be right. <laughs> There's nothing so more brilliant than being right and the mind wants to be right. It doesn't matter about what, it just doesn't matter. It will find how to be right. Facts be gone. The mind will just make things up. And we can live in a make-believe world very quickly and easily to make our belief system right. And that happens. And a lot. And so this is the trouble that we can get ourselves into. It's one of the concerns of being on your own. It's not a good place. One of the great benefits of being in a relationship is that people push into you, embrace you. Thank you for being so great. Smarten up. Pull yourself together. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. It's live feedback in the relationship, which is necessary. Otherwise, we're left to our own devices. And rarely does that go well. We just start making stuff up and chasing illusions, and they're not anchored in reality. And we get farther and farther away to this, our body. That's the separation. And so this brilliant practice of yoga is all designed, as I see it, you don't have to see it this way, of how to close the gap between mind and body. Start to listen to your body that much more and what that would mean. This cycle shuts the body down, minimizes it, and specifically shuts the emotional body down, shuts it down. You don't get to feel, I'll numb you out. Part of healing is waking up the emotional body, which is painful, but needed. So you can start to feel again and take care of yourself yet again 
And that's what this practice is about as I see it. And so the integration is clarify your values and tend to them carefully. Have to clarify your values and then tend to them diligently and with great care because that is self-care. And you won't like it. <laughs> you will not like it. You choose a value that you've been ignoring and depriving yourself of for potentially your entire life, you start to recognize how difficult it is to confront that part of you. But it's a worthwhile pursuit. And what's in front of you is the ability to strengthen that part of you if you so choose it. And I certainly wish that for you. You might ask yourself, well, I don't know what the hell am I supposed to be pursuing in my practice? And a question for you is, what do you want to feel more of in your life? Such an interesting question. What do you want to feel more of in your life? Anybody have an answer to that particular question? What do you want to feel more of in your life? Whatever that may be. Love. Love. Yeah. That's fun to say out loud. <laughs> Please, sir. Yeah, love. Okay. Purpose. Purpose. Okay. Safety and freedom. Community. Community. Connection. Mm -hmm. Personal acceptance. Thank you for that. Play. Play. Nice. Say it again. Connection. Okay. You want to have an answer to that question. Then you could argue very easily that's the value you have. You could make that argument very easily, that that is a value you have, that you've not been paying attention to, in which you need to, and with the right level of practice to support that particular value, so you're able to create it and actually feel it, and to ask yourself that question every once in a while. Like, yeah, what do I want to feel more of? And what you'll notice is that is attached to your value structure. And it gives you something to pursue. And that's the clarity we need. Otherwise, there's just too much. <laughs> just too much going on. So it's like focus. And what do you need to give yourself? And that is your responsibility. And it's a good responsibility to adopt. And so if you're serious about that, you use every single practice out in front of you to create that. A month from now, three months from now, six months from now, perhaps you'll have that at hand, wouldn't that be amazing? So there's plenty that we're up against. And knowing what you know about what you're up against, it's like choose it all. <laughs> That's the idea. It's not gonna change. This is not gonna change. The cycle that you're in will not change. It'll always be there. The system that lives within. But what you can start to do is choose it less and choose something more. And that's the premise of asking you that question. Choose that more, this less. Focuses on kidneys. That's the focus of this practice. Really intriguing. Wonderful. 
unpleasant, and everything in between. <laughs> They'll see on the map. All right, good morning. The focus of this class is on your solar plexus and heart. Upper chest, right around that region. There's a lot happening in that region of the body. Letting go of control is one of the attempts of working in this part of the body, the ability to let go of control, which is not easy. Definitely not easy. And we tend to, we have a tendency of protecting this region of the body and shield ourselves and shield ourselves from pain. Where does pain come from? Largely in the past. And so we have a tendency of shielding ourselves. As we shield ourselves, our body also supports the shielding, the protection by rounding the shoulders. Rounding the shoulders, chest caves, eyes drop to the floor. The practice of yoga is the attempt to open up, to build a posture that keeps you open, your eyes up so you can see what's out in front of you and stop looking away and down and avoiding. And that's the brilliance of working with yourself through the practice of yoga. It's like shoulders back, heart open, eyes forward, and see what you need to see as often as you can. So I'm going to spend a few minutes trying to wrap this up. We've been talking over the last several days about strategies and values and how important it is to know both your strategies as well as your values. That's the split that we're in, it seems to me. Way back when, we split. One split takes us into strategies and the pathway to hopelessness, and the opposite of that, values, and the ability to take care of yourself and have the kind of meaningful life that you want. One track takes you into hopelessness. One track takes you into possibility. Resignation possibility is one way of looking at it. So I want to speak about the impulse that destroys. And that's more aligned to your strategies and your belief system. You must confront and admit to your malevolent impulses that tend to drag you to hell. <laughs> Just a light conversation. <laughs> yeah. You have to understand your malevolent, malevolent impulses. That's a good thing to understand and to notice where they are and where they exist because they do. And the kind of hell that you put yourself through and the kind of hell that you put others through as a consequence of you leading with your strategies. The very impulses that ally you to destructive practices that leave you shielded, fragmented, and cowardice. We've been talking about pleasing and perfectionism. Those are two fundamental strategies that we employ and leverage against that ultimately weaken us. It's the avoidance strategies. I'd rather feel this than that, as we've been speaking about. And it's a cowardice way of moving in the world. There's no courage attached to that. Wow, the power goes out. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about an effect. The very impulses that give you rise to the bully part of you that is menacing. It's not how we like to see ourselves. 
But there is that part of us that's monstrous and menacing, absolutely, and is a bully. You bully yourself and you bully other people. That's not so simple to admit to, but when you're attempting control, you're the bully. The mind is bullying your body. Hopefully you start to realize that this week in a whole different way, that this is the menacing part of you, the way in which you think and how you inform your body and how you're more than willing to punish yourself. And if that's true here in the relationship to self, rest assured it's the relationship you have with others. How could it not be? If you treat yourself that way, you will treat other people that way. How often, who knows? Having the capacity to see this side of yourself is useful because it's the part that needs to be integrated the most. It's wild, chaotic, does not want to be managed. <laughs> wants to be loose and out and causing chaos wherever it can. So menacing, in fact, the bully will continue to push on you until you blow out at your weakest point. We've been speaking about that as well. Welcome to dis-ease. That bully part of you is relentless and doesn't care about you at all. And will self-destruct you if need be. And that's often the case. We don't listen. We don't feel we don't do anything until it's forced upon us. That's the breakdown. Until it's forced on us. Now you need to wake up and pay attention. Because you haven't been. Now you have to deal with this condition. Have to deal with this breakdown in your life. This thing. Whatever it is. And it's too big to avoid. That's the tendency. So weak from the pummeling, there'll be nothing left other than misery and hell on earth. That's not far away for any of us, as I see it, to pummel ourselves into a miserable state. And then that's all we are, is a walking misery. And if you've been there, you know what I'm speaking about. If you've ever been around somebody that is like that, how challenging that is. It's hell on earth. And speaking about my relationship over the last couple of days to the bully side of me, the fighter side of me, always ready for the fight. And what I was fighting for was safety. All the while deconstructing stability. So I had no access to safety. Even though that's what I convinced myself I was doing, I was fighting for safety to make sure I had a place. And what I was constraining was my access to nurture myself and to feel nurtured by others, which is safety. I never gave myself that access. I still don't in some ways. And how I shielded myself from other people. You're a threat. You're not safe. Stay away. And if I have to fight you to keep you away, I will absolutely do that. And I was menacing in various different ways. 
And that was useful for me. I could leverage against that. I was comfortable in the chaos. But what I started to realize is how much pain I was in and how much I was missing and how sad I was and the misery I was in. And I start to notice it in different ways because that's in my family lineage is the shielding and the, mm, the behavior to push people away. All designed to protect. And then I really started to notice that if I was not willing to constrain this, what was waiting for me was the death sentence. And it really felt that way to me. Because in my family lineage, certainly with the men, they have heart issues. And I see that as broken hearts. That's how I see it. And I'm seeing that, all these tears. <laughs> I'm seeing that with my father now. That the impulse to destroy has destroyed him. And how that has literally killed his heart. And the consequences of that playing out now. It's very sad to see. And so I know that's waiting for me. And for whatever reason, that's a weak, that's a weak place within the family lineage, lineage. And so that destiny is waiting for me if I don't constrain this part of me. And I've been diligently working on this for years because that's not the destiny I want, to have a broken heart that will manifest into dis-ease. And so I look at this quite seriously because it is. So whatever lives in the fam family lineage is waiting for us. That's undeniable. And it shows us something. It's like where we're weakest. If our family lineage is weak somewhere, that means we're weak somewhere. And to pay attention to that. And if you don't want to blow out of that weakest spot, it's like, that's the wake up. What are you going to do about it? And how serious are you going to take it? Because it's serious business. This top side wants nothing good for you. Even though it convinces you, it is good for you. Get the accolade. Get the praise. Get it in the moment. It's better than nothing. That's the convincing. All the while it thins us out. And so the attempt is to distance yourself from that as quickly as you can. But you have to see it. And you won't want to see it. And when you go home, perhaps you'll see it in a very different way. Because it lives in your relationships. People are expecting you to come home exactly how you left. And they want you to be that way. Because you fit perfectly in their life. The perfect character. That's what you're pushing against to make the change that you know you need to make and convince people it's good that you make changes and you need a plan for that to occur. And so create a plan. And part of it is resist seeing yourself as harmless because you're, because you're not. You're not harmless. You're dangerous and you know it. And you're dangerous in a way that you can self-destruct and malevolence and the evil that lives within. And your commitment to be miserable 
It's very strange to see yourself that way, but it's useful. That if you're not sharp, the dangerous side of you is going to pull you into places you don't want to be. You must convince yourself to act properly and motivate yourself to move carefully forward. That requires a plan. What are you aiming at? And can you move diligently towards that aim? The attempt to formulate a plan is an opportunity to face where you're naive. And you are. Absolutely. As we all are in our own unique way, naive somewhere in our lives where we are underdeveloped and weak. You could easily make that argument that's true with your value hierarchy. That there's a value you have that you've been ignoring. That you've been depriving yourself of for years. And wouldn't it be something if you made a plan to pull that in that much more, strengthen that part of you? This is the compulsion to replace where you're lacking, your strategies. Will always suck something out of you. And so you'll lack something with something better, which is your values. Abandon your strategies, adopt the value. And so the questions are, what do you want to feel? Oh, I asked that yesterday of you. What do you want to feel? I love that question. It's so simple, but not. <laughs> and what needs to change for that to occur? Huh, my goodness. The answer is you. That's what needs to change. And it's like, good luck. Because the chances of you changing are like nil. That's what you're up against. <laughs> but it's possible if you really confront yourself seriously because that's what it needs. You have to understand what you're up against as clearly as you can and confront it every single day as much as you can. And if you make that change, then your entire life changes. And that means everybody else around you also has to change. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to face that. But it's also a great problem to have because it gives you something to grapple with. And it's a good thing because you know if it's good for you, it's good for everybody around you. And they'll see that and feel that. And sometimes quite quickly. And so you are the mechanism of change if you hold yourself to that aim. So make a plan, set your sights high, and use your entire body and being to aim at your goal. And again, that's what's so brilliant about this practice. It's not like moving around from shape to shape. Yes, you're doing that. But the whole idea is that you're building yourself into something. What shape do you need to be in to establish this value? What is that stance? How can you develop the energy within Develop the posture you need to stand for what you want. So everything we do on the mat is substantial, has such significance. Be in uncomfortable positions. <laughs> Develop the patience, the energy, the courage, heart open experience, eyes open, moving yourself in the right direction. And so that's the attempt this morning. We'll practice this region of your body. That's the focus. You get to go home with an open heart and to hold that opening as long as you can and to use your communication to share why this is so important to you. 
which is a practice in itself, to capture people's listening. Listen to me. I have something important to say, and it's going to affect you. <laughs> and I want it to affect you, good people, because I care about you. I love you. This is good for me, so it'll be good for you. And to have that message out in front of you, so key. So I have a question for you. What are you aiming at? What do you want to feel? I asked that yesterday. Maybe it's changed. I always like to hear the answers. Amazing. What do you want to feel? What are you after? Union? Okay, good. Okay, creativity. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Wholehearted. Mm -hmm. Good. Dynamic. That's fun to say out loud, isn't it? <laughs> you seem surprised. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Good to have something out in front of you to pursue. And use your life as feedback. Are you establishing this? How is that? When? How? Can I continue to replicate? So we'll practice now. Shorten practice, condensed, because I know you're leaving, and I say boo to that. <laughs> You'll certainly be missed. It's been a great week. So thanks for being so generous and accepting and here. We'll have to do it again sometime. <laughs> All right. I'll get you to come to your mountain.